Amen. So, uh, this is the last in this series on how the kingdom works. And, uh, yeah, I'd, we had a fantastic day yesterday. Um, just really training and understanding what our kingdom mission is. But also enabling people to be able to disciple people one-on-one directly themselves. You know, one of the things... Uh, about the, the, the way the kingdom works is it works through um, seed. It works organically. It works through the individual. And, you know, one, one, what I've been saying about the kingdom in this series is that we put too much emphasis on what the church can do, as in the church as an organized body or an organized place. And that I believe that God is, is changing that so that we recognize and realize the great uh, treasure that he has planted in every one of us. And that's why we've been going through, I guess for about a year now, this, this, this paradigm shift of understanding how God can work through every single one of us. And you might remember that, that what, what I described this as originally, and, and I continue to describe it, is as a, a re-revolution. Have we got slides? There we go. There you see. Starting the re-revolution. Now, why is it a re-revolution? It's a re-revolution because there was an original revolution started by Jesus, started by the apostles, started by the early church that spread across the world and changed the world to Christianity in a, couple of, in a few generations. And that was a revolution called the spread of the kingdom. And I believe that by... Doing, rediscovering the way that the early church worked, the way that the disciples thought, the way that they went about things, working from kingdom principles rather than natural principles, we get to see the same results. I don't think anything's changed about the way the kingdom works. I think it was us that moved and changed the way we did church and changed the emphasis on church. You know, what we do here is hugely important. We get to uh, share with each other. We get to worship together. We get to encourage each other. We get to be family. We get to support each other. But it's a few hours a week. And the kingdom is in the 110 hours a week. We're not at church and not asleep. And, and that's where Jesus was talking about the kingdom ineffective. When he shared these kingdom parables, the revolution was to take place outside the church meetings. It was to bring people into the kingdom as we went and found them. By hearing the voice of the Spirit, hearing what he was saying and doing what we saw him doing and saying only what we saw him saying. And uh, I was, uh, I've, I've changed my, uh, my place where I, I go and drink coffee in the morning over the last few days because I, I thought, well, you know, I, I, need, I need some fresh hearing from the Holy Spirit. So I've, I've, gone, I've gone select and refined and posh and gone to a place that is actually Paul Howard's favorite place. So I, I've moved from Costa and gone to Balzano's. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he says, oh, I like Balzano's, yeah. And, and Cheryl likes that because I can bring fresh bread back at the end of it. But I, I, was, sat, I was sat there on Friday and I was, uh, I was actually uh, doing something on the church accounts, doing the gift aid uh, claim. And... <laughs> I was just sat there, and these, these two ladies who were talking to each other, they're like looking at what I'm doing, like, because you do, don't you? Because you know, see. And, and we got into a conversation about God, 
just naturally about God. And that's because whilst we might not perceive it, whilst we might see all the negative, Jesus has not changed his opinion that the fields are white for harvest. He hasn't budged on that opinion. We, we just started looking at the darkness, but he's not budged on the fields being white for harvest. And, it, and it's for us to find that harvest. So what is the message of this re-revolution? Well, Jesus tells a number of kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm, I'm just going to skim over those today. But here's, here's where he finishes. It's actually where I started in the discipleship training yesterday. But he finishes at Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. It's not on there. I've just actually changed what I'm going to say this morning. So just ignore some of it. Um, he said to them, so this is Jesus speaking. He's told a load of parables about how the kingdom works. And at the end of it, he says to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now, sometimes we miss these throwaway sort of comments, but actually what he's saying there is hugely powerful. What he's saying is there are people who have been around God, who have, whose hearts are after God, who have a lot of knowledge and information about God. Now, he's talking about the scribes of his day. And the scribes of his day kind of like memorized the Bible. And, and, and they had all this treasure stored in. They just didn't know what to do with it. And he's saying that when they turned to belief in Jesus, he was able to unlock that treasure that had been stored up in them. And that, that's incredible, because if you think about it, he's talking to you. Because if you've been around church for a few years, you have a lot of treasure stored up in you. You've got some immensely exciting stuff that you know about God. You've got your own journey with God. You've got your story of how God came into your life, how he, he, the things he's changed in your life, how you got to know him. But you've got treasure. And every single person in this room who's a believer has treasure stored up. And what Jesus is saying is out of that treasure, you bring forth old and new. What does, what does he mean by that? This is what he means by that. He means that you bring forth the things that you know. Things that have kind of clicked into place for you. Things that you understand. Treasure old. But he's saying that as you do that, as you go about bringing forth that treasure out of the old, the stuff that you've stored up, you're going to get some new revelation. And that's, that's going to bring new life to people. You see, we're not just dispensers of what is stored up. We're dispensers of a flow of the Holy Spirit as well. And so there's, there's two types of treasure. There's the treasure of the stored up word and the treasure of the flow of the Spirit. And he's saying every single person who's a believer in church is ideally placed to start this revolution. So he's talking to you. And I'm talking to you this morning, even though you've decided to all sit over that side, which is why I'm ignoring you. Because ev everybody's over here. I, I don't know why we drift over there, but... I'll end up talking there, but I'll give you a wave. There you go. Happy on this side. 
But he's talking to you. And he's talking to me. And he's talking to every one of us. He's not talking to an organization. He's talking to people. And, and so in this generation, we are the hope of this generation. No pressure there. But we are. We're it. Whatever we think about ourselves, whatever we think of our own issues and our own problems, we're it. And Jesus says there's some good stuff in every one of you. Every single one of you has treasure. And if you release it, it'll bring forth new treasure too, as you get into the flow of the Spirit. Okay, so that, that's kind of a preamble. So what's the message of this re-revolution? Well, we can kind of have lots of messages. But the message that Jesus preached and the message the disciples preached was a particular message. And they called it the gospel of the kingdom of God. They, they actually talked about the kingdom. And, and why talk about a kingdom? Because a kingdom has a king. And if you talk about the kingdom, you're talking about the king and his authority and his rule and his dominion and his worth and his value and his right to be worshipped. But you're also talking about something that is alive and active. And so they, they talked about this message of the kingdom. And Jesus' mission when he was on earth was focused on initiating that kingdom. He gave it like the momentum, the big shove. He spent three years getting it off from, from static to, and shoving it till it came into full being with his victory at the cross. And Jesus actually used this word kingdom over a hundred times. I don't know if you ever, you've ever noticed that. He talks about this word kingdom over and over again. This was Jesus' first message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. When he said the kingdom of God is at hand, what he was actually saying is, I'm here. The king has arrived and therefore the kingdom has come into being. But it's that word, I just want you to, to look at that second part of that where it says, so what's our response to that kingdom? What's the response Jesus is saying is logical if the kingdom is here? How many of you believe that the king is on his throne? So what's the response to that? What's our logical response? And Jesus says the logical response is repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the life-changing news that has come about because I'm here. And, and we get hung up on this word repent. And the reason we get hung up on it is we've attached all sorts of things to it that are never there in the original meaning. But 2,000 years on, we, we, we've got a picture of what repent means. And repent, if anybody looks at it in, in, in church terms, and, and they visualize what repentance means, it means basically me telling somebody like me, to stood at the front, telling you how bad you are, what a failure you've been this week, how you've let God down, how you need to get your act together, how you need to sort yourself out. And guys, what you need to do right now is get on your face at the front of the church. And weep and cry until God hears you. And we've got this idea of re that's what repentance is. And so sometimes we even try to make it happen. 
because we tell you how really, really bad you are and how really, really you need to come down here. That's not what repentance, the word, actually means. It's, it's what we visualize and we've associated with. And that, that's sometimes why we give a wrong picture of God's heart. You see, there is, for some of us and many of us, genuine sorrow involved in changing the way we think about God. But that's not the whole of the picture. And, and that's not the goal. The word repentance comes from a Greek word, metanoia. And what it actually means is to change the way you see things, to change the way you think about things. It means a turning around in your thinking. A turning around in your thinking. Now, here's, here's where we, we can get like a little bit lost. And that's why I'm, gonna, I'm just talking about this at the moment. Because what Jesus is saying is if the kingdom's here, you need to change the way you're thinking about your life. Your priorities, your purposes, and your focus. And, and Jesus is saying, you, you need to start seeing things from the perspective of the kingdom, not from the perspective of the world. And that's a complete change of thinking for, for, for these guys he's talking to, and it's a complete change of thinking for us. But what he's also saying is, is this. He say, he's telling people, if the kingdom is here, which it now is, you need to take a bit of a stock take and turn away from your dependence and living in the world and doing the things that the world does and, and walking along with the enemy's plans for you. You need to turn away from that. And that's kind of where we stop when we think about repentance. Because even if we think it of as a turning around, which a lot of people do, we think of it in terms of a turning around and then trying to get away from our past and all the stuff we've done and all the rubbish. And we work and we work and we, and we struggle to get free of all that stuff. You cannot walk away from a, a wrong lifestyle. You cannot walk away from the messes you make and the relationships you've screwed up. You cannot get away from all those issues by willpower. You cannot get free of what you're addicted to by willpower because willpower runs out at some point and you fall back. So we have this picture of we've got to get away, we've got to get away. We focus on the getting away. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He says there's a turning round. If you turn away from something, you turn towards something. And the thing you turn towards on and look at and walk towards now is Christ. And we look at Christ and that is what sets us free. We don't look back. We don't turn back. There is freedom in looking at Christ. That's what repentance means. It's a turning away from, but more importantly, it's a turning to and being captured by the glory who, of, of the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, the one who is king, the one who is Lord of lords, the one who's on his throne. And so we turn and we look at him and, and we, we try to understand his heart and try to see his heart and we get excited about what he gets excited about and we get upset about what he gets upset about and, and we... we, we, we we think about the things that he's thinking about and we, we, we try to understand what his purposes are, what his agenda are. And we listen to his spirit and we say, whatever you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to do. 
No questions. Because I'm coming for you, Jesus. I'm coming after you. Because you captured my vision. You captured my gaze. Do you, do you understand what Jesus is saying? This is, this is not like some sort of religious thing. This is a radical change of life. It's a turning to Jesus and running after him. Going after him with everything. And he's saying, why would you do that? Because the king has come. The king above all kings, the Lord above all lords, he's come. And that's why you would do that. You see, the kingdom, the concept of the king and the kingdom is so radical, we have to change everything we think about. Our whole way of thinking, everything we give priorities to. I'm going to say something that some of you might not agree with. But it's, it's what I think, so I'm going to say it anyway. Because I'm not going to be silent. I've been told this morning not to be silent. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus tells us how to pray. Well, he gives us a pattern for prayer. And that pattern says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So Jesus' will is done in heaven. God's will's done in heaven. We know that, don't we? There's no problems in heaven. Heaven's not stressed about stuff. Heaven's okay. It's down here we have a problem. It's like, Houston, we have a problem. And so Jesus is saying, when, when you pray, one of the things that you're, you're praying for is that what is true about heaven is going to be true on earth. Now, here's my question. Did Jesus expect when you prayed that, that he would answer it? So it's not for the good by and by, is it? It's actually saying, like, this is what I expect you to pray for, and I expect you to believe you're going to see it, because I intend to fulfill it. Therefore, we are the arbiters of the kingdom on earth. We determine how much of the kingdom the world sees. This is my, that wasn't my controversial bit, by the way. This is my controversial bit because I believe that God is not satisfied with what he is seeing in the West. I don't think it was on God's agenda that the church-going population would decline. I don't think it's on God's agenda that the culture has shifted so much that we've lost our moral compass. I don't think that was on God's agenda. I don't think it was on God's agenda, the pressure that our kids live under these days. I don't think it was on God's agenda that we would be so confused about what we could say that we don't so en say anything in case it's politically right or wrong. And even when we don't say anything, we're not sure whether we should say something because it might be politically correct to say something, but we can't summon up the nerve to say it anyway. <laughs> I don't think that's God's agenda. I don't think God's a God of confusion. I think he's a God of clarity. But I think he's disappointed with what he's seeing in the West. And his heart is breaking because he wants us to show people who he is. He is what we're doing. And I'm not talking to you, Firefly, but you're the only people I can talk to. So I've got to get off my chest to you, okay? Because nobody else is listening to me, so you get it. <laughs> but here's what I'm thinking. I think, I think we spend so long talking about who we are to each other and how amazing we are in our church to each other. And he wants us to be out there talking about how amazing he is, because he's captured us. And so 
Anyway, that's a controversial bit over. But here's the thing. The kingdom defines our mission. It defines what we're about. You know, what we do in this life is defined by this mission called the kingdom. And, and you see that right through um, the book of Acts as the disciples go about the way. So in Acts 8, 12, you see this. When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. People were hearing this message of the kingdom and coming into the kingdom. Acts 19, 8. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about what? About the kingdom of God. Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for a lot of people's thinking unless they have it explained to them that, that there's, a, there's a supernatural kingdom which supersedes the natural kingdoms. There's a supernatural authority which supersedes natural authorities. And so they, Paul's going around and he's explaining that to people, that there's a new power on the block. There's a new king in place. And we're his ambassadors. We're the ones taking this. We're carrying the message of this kingdom. But not only are we carrying the message of this kingdom, we're carrying the authority of the kingdom. We're carrying the name of Jesus as our own personal authority and authorization. And we're carrying the power of the Holy Spirit within us to bring about the kingdom wherever we go. As we become ministers of heaven on earth, bringing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth into alignment with the kingdom of heaven. And that's radical. That's massively radical. I don't understand why we have people in church who are not absolutely, I guess, so excited right to the core that they, they, they're like, they've got ants in the pants about it, you know. I don't know, does that translate? That's a northern thing. Bob will understand it. If you've got ants in your pants, you can't sit still, basically. That's how it works. But I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't get it. But I get the privilege of walking it with you guys. And that, that is an amazing privilege. I got the privilege of, of, of training a lot of you yesterday in, in how to disciple others in a way that they can then disciple others. And I, I think that is, I think that's fantastic. I, I just like, the, the fact that actually people came up, turned up, listened, and then, w then went away to do something about it, I think is amazing. So I'm, I'm so proud of you guys. And, and I'm so blessed to be doing this with you. Because otherwise I'd be stood here talking to nobody. And it's kind of expensive rent for talking to nobody. <laughs> so anyway, so I've gone off thingy anyway. So when does this, this message, when does, our, our, um, when does this mission end? You know, it's okay saying that's our mission. How does this mission end? It doesn't. This is a lifelong thing. Jesus said this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the very last thing that happens before Jesus comes back is we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's still as effective and as powerful as it was, and it still works. So we have to do things kingdom ways. Are you, are you with me? I'm kind of excited this morning. I, you know, I, I don't know why I'm kind of excited. I just feel excited. Is that okay? Okay.
So here's, here's the principle that we've been talking about. To see kingdom results, you have to understand kingdom ways and act in kingdom ways. The ways of the kingdom are counterintuitive. People don't get here by logic. A lot of the things that Jesus asks us to do and says this is the way the kingdom works, you wouldn't do if you did a management degree or a project management degree or you were an engineer or any of those sort of things because you wouldn't get here by logic. It's counterintuitive. So to, to the world who does not yet know Jesus, we appear people that they cannot understand. Here's what we have to do. Get used to it. They're not going to get you until they find Jesus. Get over it. This is not an excuse for a pity party. They're not going to get you. They're not going to feel comfortable with you around. If our goal is to be their best buddy, you're not going to get it. The only way we get to be best buddies with the world is to be part of the world. And Jesus said no. He said you're in the world but not like it. We're counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, doesn't work by logic. And that's why we have to be really careful that we don't fall back onto natural ways of thinking. We have to live out kingdom ways. And here's the thing about kingdom ways is that they, they don't... For, for some of them don't seem to be working for long periods of time. And that's also a problem for us because we got used to instant. We have, we have, I, I have instant cup of soup. I like them Heinz, inst, instant cup of soup tomato things. It, it's like, I, I like them. I, I know I'm sad. And, and we, we have like instant stuff. We've got microwaves, we've got McDonald's, we've got all sorts of stuff. And we kind of like the gospel to be instant. And we try and make it instant and get instant results. And the kingdom doesn't work on instant. And therefore, we, have, we, we get problems with it. So, Jesus told word pictures to teach the kingdom. And, and we kicked off this series. We talked about the parable of the soul. Anybody remember what, when we talked about the parable of the soul? Because I'm just going to go back there, remind you some of the conclusions just in case you forgot them and you're getting bothered by the things that you got set free from. So we all, most of us hopefully know the parable of the sower. There's a, there's a sower, he goes out to sow, he scatters seed far and wide, it lands on four different types of ground, produces four different results. The first one lands on hard ground, it gets snatched away straight away, doesn't produce any results at all. The second one lands, it springs up quickly, but there's no, no roots in it and it, it, it dies quickly too. The third one seems to be really fruitful, going great guns, but it gets choked by the cares of the world. It gets all, it, it's life run by all the things that people want. And it gets its, the, the life of the kingdom choked out of it like that. And then there's, there's those that bear good, good fruit, but they're a minority. And we don't know where that ground is. The Holy Spirit knows where that ground is, but we don't. Because if we knew, we would just scatter seed on that ground. If I could tell you of, of all the people that are, are walking around the estate outside at the moment, which ones were good ground, we'd just all go and talk to them, wouldn't we? But we don't know. So what we have to find is what the Holy Spirit is doing and par participate in that. 
And so here's the thing. You can, this is probably the most important thing I've learned the last two years, is that you can share about Christ. You can share the gospel with somebody and get absolutely no results. And if you've done that two or three times, you then think, I am rubbish at this evangelism thing. I am rubbish at sharing my faith. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm a failure at doing this. And occasionally, when you feel really guilty, you might go on another evangelism training course with another method that will give you another method you can get confused about and be really rubbish at too. Here's the point. You are not rubbish. The gospel does its own work. Jesus told you to scatter seed. You did what he told you to do. You are a success at kingdom things. That's why it's counterintuitive. What did you do? You found some hard ground your first few goals. Jesus told you you were going to find some hard ground and you struck unlucky and you got three of them. You now think you're a failure when actually all of heaven is saying that's a success. Because they did what I told them to do. They're not responsible for finding the right ground. They're responsible for scattering seed. Can you see? That's why Jesus tells the Pablo so. He's training his disciples. Guys, don't get yourselves disappointed. And you know, you, you could... I don't want to go into it because I've done a full preach on it, but you you can get so disappointed with the third category. You know, the ones that bear fruit and you get all excited about and, you, and, and they're up front in church and it's great and it's amazing and wow, aren't they amazing Christians? And then three years later, they're not even coming to church because they've got so focused on, I don't know, whatever it is, golf or driving a BMW or going for nice country walks on a Sunday afternoon, all those sort of things. Their career, all sorts of stuff. And the life of the kingdom gets choked out. They're the ones that break my heart. Because so much potential directed somewhere apart from the kingdom. That's what breaks my heart. And again, what we can do is you go, well, what did I do wrong? How did that happen? Perhaps I didn't use the right words to motivate them. Perhaps, I, you know, maybe if I'd spent more time with them than 10 hours a day, 20, you know, for five years, and maybe if I'd done this, maybe if I'd done that. No, I'm doing what the kingdom says. The Holy Spirit is the one responsible for the results, not me. So don't let the enemy get at us and tell us we're a failure when we're doing kingdom things. Okay, is that a good, good reminder? Okay, let's go on a bit. Because I'm, I'm just going to look at three little short parables. So here's the first parable. Um, you probably have heard all of these parables. So it's, it's still in Matthew chapter 13. And it's called the parable of the tares. Anybody heard the parable of the tares? I'm going to tell you, you've heard it. If you've been around church, you've heard it. It's sometimes called the parable of the weeds. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Say good seed. 
But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares, or seed that gives right to weeds, and also among the wheat, and then they went away. When the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. So the wheat grows, and all of a sudden you've got weeds all over your field. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you, didn't you just sow good seed in your field? Then why does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until they harvest in the time of the harvest. I will say to the reapers, first gather up the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then if you go a little bit further down to verse 36, and then he left the multitudes and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. We didn't want to tell you out there because we didn't want to embarrass, get ourselves embarrassed in front of the crowd. But we have no idea what's this weeds and tares and servants and slaves and burning up and, and collecting and all that sort of stuff. No idea what you're talking about, Jesus. So Jesus explains it to them. And he says this. And he answered and said, the, the, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Me, Jesus, is what he's saying. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. Okay, let me just say some things about this, because these are really important to understand in our mission. Our mission to bring the kingdom into this place into this city, into this area. Here's the first thing to understand. Jesus tells us what the field is where the sowing takes place. The field is the world. Now, that's really important. Why is that really important? Because somewhere along the line, we've read that parable as if the field is the church. And we've started looking for people in the church that are wrong uns. And more than that, we've started criticizing them on Facebook and Instagram and on the internet and everywhere. And we've become obsessed with trying to find problems with people who are in the kingdom instead of working out that the problems are outside the kingdom. The field is the world, it's not our job to sort out the children of God. It's his job. It's our job to sow in the world. And it's inevitable when we sow in the world that the enemy takes counteraction. This is not a free ride. There is enemy activity. Stuff is going to go wrong. Stuff's not going to be there when you need it. People are going to let you down. People who thought you were wheat are going to turn you thought were wheat out there are going to turn out to be weeds. 
Stuff is going to go wrong because there's enemy activity. And Jesus is saying, on your mission, understand that's the reality. So when you get opposition, when you get challenges, when there's a fight against you, when people persecute you, when people try to make you silent, when people try and shut you up, when people tell you that they'll, there'll be all these sort of consequences if you talk about Jesus, don't stop. Because that's the reality of what Jesus said. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So this is a really kind of simple parable to understand. Enemy activity is everywhere. And the enemy activity can affect us as believers. Now, let me explain that to you. We have a choice as believers whether we operate according to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, or we operate carnally, being carnal Christians, according to the natural principles of the world. So a carnal Christian is somebody that's saved, but you can't tell because it makes no difference in their life. And there's kind of a lot of those. And why does it make no difference in life? Not because they aren't genuine about Jesus, but because they think everything still runs on natural principles and there's no supernatural involved. And, and when you get that sort of thinking and that sort of thinking around you, it affects your thinking. And the trouble with that sort of thinking is it tends to bring something with it. Because out there, people are falling out with each other, complaining about each other, moaning about each other, criticizing each other, pulling each other down in order to get on. And when we start getting into that sort of thinking, we bring strife in. It goes with that thinking. And strife comes between us. And the thing that Jesus is saying is that, is the biggest danger of all. When our issues become between us instead of us being out in the world. And that's, you know, Paul later on in Ephesians, he says, that is the thing that breaks the Holy Spirit's heart. That is the thing that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's the thing that makes him go quiet and still. And just devastates him when we when we fall out with one another How, why do we do that we do it because we got our eyes off jesus and our eyes onto the world and we started behaving like the world instead of behaving like jesus it's really simple it's a really simple solution get your eyes back on jesus make the holy spirit happy make him happy today get your eyes on jesus Okay, let's, go, let's look at another parable. This is from Mark chapter 4. It's one that I do talk about a, a lot. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. This is what it says. As he was saying, so this follows on from the parable of the, the sower. And he, he tells another parable. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seeds upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. 
how he himself doesn't know. The, the soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. When the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, what you can see from this parable and what you can see about kingdom ways is there's two types of activity. There's our activity and there's the activity of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be careful that we don't confuse the two and try and do his job. Because he's really good at his job and he's not going to do our job. So we need to know what, what our role is in this. So what, what do we do? Our activity is to sow seed. If we sow seed, what Jesus is saying is there will, at some point, be a harvest. He says it's inevitable. Why? Because some of that seed finds good soil. What's working on the soil? It's like you, you go out and... You know, you, you, you've got this field and you've sown in it and you go out and, you, you know, we, have, we, have, we see a lot of it around our house because we've got farm fields around our house. And they, they go out in whenever they sow and they, they, they seize all over the garden and you see nothing for weeks. And it, and it rains and you can't, there's not a farmer in sight and, and nothing happens. Now, what, what if that farmer went out the next day and said, nothing happened? Waste of time. I'm rubbish at this farming. So he goes back in and his wife encourages him because wives are great encouragers. And, and, and just like Cheryl does with me, go on, out, out you go again. Have another go. Go on, go on. You're not giving up. Go on, out you go again. Have another go. And, and so we've got this field. And, and I go and have a look the next day and there's nothing. And I'm going, I am really useless at this. That's what this guy was experiencing. He doesn't know. Like the rain comes, the sun comes up, the sun comes down, it rains, the, he sprays fertilizer on it, it comes up, it, the rains come again, and nothing seems to be happening. And yet one day he'll go out and there'll be little green shoots because the harvest has come. And he doesn't know what went on between him sowing the seed and the harvest coming because that was all the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand about the kingdom. It's not our job to make the harvest happen. It's our job to sow the seed so the Holy Spirit can make the harvest happen. And when the harvest comes, we reap it. Yeah. Our job, the Holy Spirit's job. So we share. And we don't get discouraged. And we don't think we're getting it nowhere. Because we know Jesus told us that if we sow seed, we're getting somewhere. More than that, he actually said, sometimes you're not even going to see your harvest. So don't stop sowing. Because sometimes you're not going to see your harvest because somebody else is going to come along and water it. Somebody else is going to come along and reap it. And the glory still all goes to Jesus. So why are you bothered? Because you're not getting the glory anyway. You're not earning this thing. So don't get discouraged because, let's just review where we're up to. The enemy is trying to stop the kingdom. That's the first thing. The second thing is the kingdom takes time. So don't get discouraged. And here's the last thing I want to say. There is something 
so precious, so beautiful, so valuable, that it is worth giving every ounce and minute of your life for. There is a treasure. There is a treasure at the center of the kingdom that Jesus is encouraging us to find. Let me read you a couple of more of these parables. Verse, 30, uh, verse 44 of Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, and then he hid it again, and from joy over it goes and sells all it has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking pearls. Upon finding the pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. It might not be immediately obvious, but where we are trying to point our life and to point the lives of others is towards the treasure. The treasure is what we talk about. The treasure at the heart of the kingdom is what we talk about because that's where the value is. Here's what that means. And then I'll, I'll tell you what it means, and then I'll explain to you why it means that. It means that when we are following the ways of the kingdom, we are not trying to introduce people to church. What we are doing is trying to help connect them to the heart of Jesus. And those two are really different things. And we, we need to get a bit smarter on that. Because sometimes we try everything to get somebody to come to church, and really what they need to find is they need to find Jesus. We're trying to connect them to Jesus. We're not talking to the world about church. We're talking to them about Jesus and his beauty and his love and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his joy and his freedom. We're talking about a God who would come to earth, lay aside all his riches, all the, the kingdom of heaven had for him and come down to earth and die for us because he loved us so much. That's what we're talking about. There is, there's no one so beautiful and so valuable. And yet we talk about church. And how do I get to grow my church? And how do we build church? Quite apart from the fact Jesus said he was building the church. It's not ours anyway. Our role as believers, is to help people discover the value of the king. Discovering the value of the king goes beyond just a decision. A decision for Jesus is good. 
But a disciple who falls in love with Jesus is the goal. You see, people will give up anything when they know who Jesus is. Because he's worth anything. You know, you can, you can give up everything in your life. You can give up everything that you value for Christ. And you will still have made a good bargain. That's Kingdom Economics 101. You cannot make a bad bargain. Um, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What Jesus is saying is you can own everything in the world. You can be one of those eight billionaires who own half the world's wealth currently. You could be one of those guys, and Jesus says, if you gave it all up for Jesus, you'd made a good bargain. Because he's more valuable and more costly and more precious than any of that. He's the treasure. You see, the treasure at the center of the kingdom is the king. There is a king whose kingdom it is. And that's who people need to see. So where do we start? Where do we continue? We put our emphasis on letting Jesus' heart capture us. Because when Jesus' heart captures us, people who encounter us will be captured by his heart too. That's how it works. We cannot sacrifice relationship with God on the altar of family and career. Because He's too precious and too valuable for us to do that. So what's the kingdom about? It's about presenting the value of the king. It's about showing the value of the king. It's about showing his beauty, his greatness, his mercy, his goodness, his love. Some of you know this story, but the week we were actually starting Faith Life, we received a vision for the church. Now, I don't want you to translate that in a way that a lot of people translate it, because there's a lot of vision statements around in churches. I don't mean we got a vision statement. We have a vision statement. Probably none of you know it because 
this is much more important. And what, I, what, what happened was that I had like an open vision. And in that vision, there was a, a vast crowd of people and they were bathed in blue light. And at the edges of that crowd, there were people going out and bringing people in. And at the center of that crowd, because it, look, it looked like a, a, a big meeting, at the center of that crowd, there wasn't a me. And there wasn't a Cheryl. And there wasn't a worship team. There was white light. And everybody was looking at the white light. And as they looked and as they gazed on it, they went out and brought others in to see the white light. There is a vision statement that goes beyond any other vision statement. The vision is that light. The vision is Jesus. Incomparable, indescribable, unchangeable, undefeatable, glorious Jesus is the vision. Nothing else compares. Nothing else is worth giving your life for. Nothing else is ch worth changing your priorities for. Nothing else is worth making sacrifices for. But when that vision captures you, you will make sacrifices. You will change priorities. You will make life decisions that cost you because they are nothing in comparison to finding the treasure. And that is the vision. That is the glory that is set before us. And that is why we need to show others how incredible he is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the way you spoke to us and met with us in worship this morning. I want to thank you that you became the center of our meeting. And I praise you, Jesus. I thank you. Jesus, I love you. You are just so amazing that every time I discover something about you, the only thing I get is that I realize there's so much more that I don't know yet. I haven't seen yet. So many more amazing things about you. And you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. And we praise you. We glorify you. And we give you our thanks. Let's give him thanks. Let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to you. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to you. Praise you, Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. If you want to respond to that or you uh, want prayer for anything, we have a prayer ministry team over here. Um, if you're new, the connect table is over there and we'd love to uh, keep in touch with you. We'd love to tell you what we're doing. We'd love to make you a cup of tea and feed you something. Um, and for everybody else, there's tea and coffee at the back and have a great week. But take the kingdom out. Don't let it stop here. Show people Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.